0: Just when you look at the cost of medications and how people are excluded from that, how can that build trust in the system? It just seems our healthcare center is so profit driven.
1: I'm Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, founder of Grapevine Health and your host of the Grapevine Health Podcast a podcast highlighting stories, health insights, and experiences of community members. We started this podcast because too often discussions and decision-making about health and the healthcare system don't include perspectives from the people we serve. So listeners, if you have a personal story or an experience from working in the community or on the front lines of healthcare, contact us and we might have you on the show. This week I'm talking to Dwayne Boyd. I called him to talk about trust in healthcare, but learned about why government should get into the movie business. Why why don't you tell people who you are and uh, a little bit about what you do in healthcare?
0: I am a recently turned 56-year-old gay black man living in the District of Columbia. I am actually on disability from, I'm on disability from health problems, um, so I'm not actually not working at the moment. Um, I did work briefly with a mental health care organization as the outreach coordinator, but um, due to COVID, I got laid off and was not, have not been brought back as of yet, so. I'm actually not working. So what I'm doing with healthcare is basically participating as a <laughs> patient, mostly at the moment.
1: You and I have had several conversations, and I'm very interested in uh, hearing your general thoughts about trust in healthcare. And then we can get a little more specific. I'd like to get some of your advice as well. But what what are your what are your thoughts just in general if I say trust in healthcare?
0: As an African American. When you say trust in healthcare, the first thought that comes to me is that how can you trust a healthcare system that is predominated not by people of color in a country that could do something as horrendous as, as the Tuskegee experiment? Because you know, I, I learned about that at Howard and it immediately instilled a whole distrust in not only the healthcare but of this country. Now, I don't think something like that could happen today, but we still have that history.
1: If you don't think something like that could happen today, how do we encourage people to participate in healthcare and research? Um, this vaccine trial right now is a perfect example. So I'm encouraged to hear you say you don't think it could happen it could happen today.
0: Well, you and I have spoken, you know, I, I, I tested for positive for COVID and I was contacted by um, the CDC and the Red Cross asking for blood samples for, for testing and for tracking, and I didn't hesitate to participate. I had several friends who didn't trust it, said they wouldn't do it. You're being tracked. Who knows if they're going to do this information? Maybe they're going to round up everyone that's tested positive and quarantine them all in the same area. Um, I didn't have those fears. I didn't have a problem trusting it because I felt that what I was going to do was going to help the greater good. Far beyond, friend of mine to become ill, friend or family member, become ill and die from this disease and I didn't do all I could do to help prevent that. So if I think if it's made known that what you're doing is for the, the greater good, that's what alleviated the trust issues for me. You know, the, the last pandemic, I believe before this one was the HIV one, um, I'm HIV positive as well, and I would participate in any research having to do with HIV, because I understand the importance of research to help cure these diseases. And that is for me, for, you know, just for people I know, just for anybody that, you know, help prevent them from having to go through what I went through, or just helping to find a vaccine or a cure for these things that are you know, rampaging through our country.
1: So what what is your advice for the healthcare system, though, whether it's researchers, uh, people who are providing clinical care or health administrators?
0: Transparency. You you give all the details as what it is you're going to be doing, what it is that you're giving the people, um, how you're collecting your research, where this research is going to go, what it's going to be used for.
1: So I'm not just talking about research. I'm talking about in general, because I think some of these trust issues are not just about research it's about clinical care, so just talk in general for a minute you know it's that' that's
0: that's a huge one, and I don't know everything that can be done to help instill trust. I know a huge thing for me would be you know the pharmaceutical industry for instance, the cost of medications um I think we talked before about Savaldi is a thousand dollars a pill d c for its density has the highest population of HIV infected, Hep C infected and co-infected individuals. Most of those individuals happen to be poor and African American. Just when you look at the cost of medications and how some people are excluded from that, how can that build trust in a system where some people can't get the medication they need? So, you know, I think, I, I personally, I think that the government should offer pharmaceutical companies a tax break, a tax incentive to then donate a large amount of Medicare patients that go into a, a trust or a bank where the government can then distribute them at low or no cost. Um, I think universal health care would be, do wonders for building trust in the healthcare system because we're the, you know, one of the richest countries in the world and yet we still don't have a great subsidized health care plan. We have one, but still uh, other countries do a lot better than we do. So I know personally that would go a long way for building trust if we could just get everyone in this country covered, if everybody in this country could get healthcare equally um, because it does seem like the more money you have, the better healthcare you get.
1: What about from a clinical perspective when you had to access uh, care, whether it's a clinic or a hospital or the emergency room, any lessons there about trust or any observations?
0: I have had some issues where I felt information was shared that should not have been. There are times I felt my HIPAA rights were violated.
1: Do you care to explain in very general terms without violating your HIPAA? I
0: don't mind talking about it. I'm very open about what, what's happened to me. Okay, so I will tell you the story. I've been HIV positive for over 30 years. I was diagnosed on August 8th, 1987. So I don't know what the math is on that in terms of years. So this incident is old, but this is, this is a particularly glaring incident for me. I went in for an appendectomy. I was tested without my knowledge or consent.
1: Wow. I came out of
0: surgery to, for my doctor to walk into my room and said, we tested you for HIV. Would you like to know what your result is? And I said, well, why did you test me? And they said, well, it, you're gay. It's an invasive procedure. We had to protect ourselves. So we tested you. You're very positive. You'll be dead in a year. You don't have sex with anybody.
1: Wait, say that again. She said what?
0: My doctor said to this is exactly her wording for telling me I was HIV positive. She said, "You are very positive. You will be dead in a year. Don't have sex with anybody." Wow. And then she walked out of the room. She backed out of the room like she didn't want to turn her back on me. Like I was something that couldn't be trusted. It was devastating. When people came to visit me, they they put a huge blood and body fluid precaution sign on my door, and they told people they had to wear hazmat suits. So now how is that protecting my confidentiality?
1: And that was in 1987, when we actually didn't know much. Mm -hmm. That was in
0: 1987. When my parents came to visit me, I had been moved from a private, semi-private room to a private room. My mother asked the nurse, why is Dwayne in a private room? And the nurse said, because he has AIDS. So my HIPAA rights were just totally violated all over the place. So now that happened 30 something odd years ago, of course, that instills in you a feeling of distrust and how one, I mean, I guess the thing you could do is you have to, I guess people, when you have something like that, especially the, you know, the, the AIDS pandemic, it created a lot of fear, a lot of hysteria. And maybe because things have progressed, times have progressed and our methodology has changed. People don't get as hysterical. I don't think we had, I don't, I don't know how the healthcare workers did with the COVID thing. I know my testing, I felt secure. I felt respected. I felt this was going to be private and confidential. I discussed and the disrespect I did with the HIV issue. And I, and I no longer get that either as well. I mean, it was new then, people were dying. So people were scared, but it still happened and it wasn't a good feeling.
1: So in 2020 how can healthcare how can the healthcare system earn back trust
0: I think you need to educate your workers and we need to educate the healthcare workers to be more sensitive to people and I, and I think some education on the cultural differences with people would also help I think um you know we've discussed it well that different cultures have different medical beliefs and feelings and I think respecting those or trying to work with those would help and also that economic disparity um, and how you accomplish that, I do not know. But I can just tell you the feeling is there that, you know, the more money you have, the better healthcare you have, which is true to some extent. I mean, you know, if you got more money, you go to better hospitals. I, I, when I was doing chemotherapy, there was a lady there with me doing chemo who's, she had breast cancer, her husband had brain cancer. Her insurance company said there's not enough money to cover both of you. You have to pick who gets treatment. Because her prognosis is better. She got treated. Her husband went home and died. So eliminating the possibility that something like that can happen, I think will go a long way, is building trust. You know, the fact that you don't have insurance, you can be denied care is horrendous to me in this country. We have a movie that can make a billion dollars. Granted, it was a wonderful movie, but, you know, a movie can make a billion dollars. You know, I often that the government should invest in, in movies, the ones that you know are going to be blockbusters. Put up half the money and get half the profit.
1: That's a, crea- that's a creative idea. You
0: know, it's a great. Okay, you you. Uh, let's say a movie costs 100 million. You put up 50 million. It makes a billion. You you get 500 million back. You put that into healthcare or housing. You know, it's guaranteed to make money. You knew the Harry Potter was going to make money. You know, the Marvel movies are going to make money. You know, I just think it's a great idea personally.
1: Wow, what an interesting idea. But you you touched on you touched on something else I wanted to talk to you about. You mentioned um housing or and that's in the same the same vein as other services like the social determinants we're talking about right now, providing access to transportation, food, housing, economic security, things like that. Do you think those are the things that are driving poor health outcomes?
0: Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. I, I, I My living situation is not ideal. It causes me some stress. And stress, we know, is a killer. Stress doesn't add to good health. It adds to ill health, the housing, the nutrition, access to healthy food. You know, a lot of people with lower social economic levels, they live in food deserts or fresh food deserts.
1: Do you hear people talking about food deserts in the community?
0: No, I do not hear people in the community talking about it. I hear people, I mean, I hear people talking about the lack of access to better quality food. Yes, I hear them talking about that. Using the specific term food desert, no. I don't know if most people here would know what that meant. I don't want to be condescending. I hear about it because I'm aware of what it is and I see it in the media and social media. I hear people talking about food deserts, So I know what it is. And once I became aware of what one was, then I start to notice, you know, there is a lack of this or there's a lack of that, or there's too much. It seems to me that sources of bad nutrition proliferate in low socioeconomic communities. Carry outs and, and, you know, the food trucks and the ice cream trucks, just the ability for them to get cheap, non nutritious food seems to proliferate.
1: So the, la- the last question I have for you, I would like for you to dream a little bit. I want you to pretend you're in charge of healthcare and you get to do two things one on one on the clinical side and one on the social side what will you do
0: on the clinical side i think the education of the importance of better diet so i would definitely have massive outreach on reducing unsafe sexual practices better nutrition so things like high blood pressure and um, diabetes I think these are the things that plague my neighborhood.
1: So, health education would be your highest priority. That's terrific.
0: Health education would be a high priority for me, and just not just education, but having outreach workers—you know, people that go out in community and work with individuals and talk about what they're doing and giving them suggestions on how to be more healthy, helping them avoid the carryouts and the, the, the gas station. I mean, the gas stations here are fully loaded with snacks, unhealthy snacks. So you see the kids coming in there all the time with tons of sugar, soda, candy, and all that. Just you know, helping put in some limitations on that, or at least education as to how this is unhealthy for you. Some healthy alternatives, better diet choices. You know, put materials in the places where the unhealthy diet choices are available, so that you know they can educate themselves. That's the that's the clinical side we said.
1: Well, it sounds it sounds like it's a bit of both. But go ahead, I'll give you. You have a second. A second decision.
0: Social, you know, you well, you know, I'm dreaming. If you know, I'm dreaming. My social would be healthcare for everybody, and how realistic that is, I don't know. But <laughs> that's my social. People in the people in the in the, uh, in the European community, they pay fifty percent of their income in taxes, but their healthcare is so much better, and they live longer, healthier, and happier lives. And, you know, I would not mind. Paying 50% of my income. Well, I don't really have one. I'm on disability. But you know, I would I would be all for a lower disability check if it meant I had better health care and better housing and some of the choices that they have. It just seems our healthcare center is so profit driven. So eliminating a profit-driven healthcare system, I think, would go a long way to better health for everyone. I just think that would be a better thing for everybody involved. I don't really it baffles me as to why everyone doesn't feel the same way. But so many things in this country are profit driven. It's, there's little concern for the people and more concern for the pocket.
1: Little concern for the people and more concern for the pocket. I like that. That was Dwayne Boyd discussing creative ways to alleviate distrust in healthcare. Thanks for listening to the Grapevine Health Podcast. Our producer is Nicholas Elias. Please like us on social media. You can find us at Grapevine Health on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram and on Twitter at Health Grapevine. Until next time, I'm Dr. Lisa signing off.